0: Herbert Norman had it all. Having studied at the likes of Harvard in his youth, he obtained a job in the Canadian Department of External Affairs in 1939. He was a bona fide intellectual, published scholar, and successful with his career endeavors. Born and raised in Japan, Norman was able to use his knowledge of the country to his advantage after the Allied occupation of the country followed World War II. Norman played an essential role as a diplomat in Japan and Egypt assisting in many major political decisions that altered the course of history. Yet during his career, he was involved in a deep controversy. Many suspected that he was a communist and a spy for the Soviets, secretly betraying his country and their trust. Though he had many who were on his side and supported him, the allegations remained until eventually he committed suicide in 1957. As tragic as it was, the question had to be raised. Was the political torment simply too much for Norman, or was there any truth to the claims laid against him? Hello and welcome to Maple Moose Mysteries, the podcast where we take a look at unsolved Canadian mysteries and crimes, providing you with the context, history, and theories to draw your own conclusions. My name is Ben, your resident Canadian, and today we are taking a look at the infamous story of Herbert Norman and the political movement that led to his downfall. The accusations about Norman came at a time when Americans were experiencing the Red Scare, or a period of intense fear that Soviets were infiltrating their governments. This fear extended into Canada, with the US expressing continual concern that Norman was a communist with a left-leaning agenda. So let's take a look at the life of Herbert Norman, the claims and evidence against him, and the Canadian government's response to determine whether he was a secret Soviet spy. Herbert Norman was born on September 1, 1909, to his missionary parents in Kurozawa, Japan. He grew up with a fondness for the country before heading to Canada in 1927, getting married and attending many of the top-rated universities, such as Toronto, Cambridge, and Harvard. But his love for the Japanese did not disappear as he wrote his PhD dissertation, which was called Japan's Emergence as a Modern State. Around this time, he also joined the Canadian Department of External Affairs and was sent to Tokyo as a language officer it seems that his love of Japanese culture was being put to good use. Norman excelled in his role and was promoted, even when the Japanese held him as an enemy alien for a time during World War II. After the war had ended and he was freed from Japan, he ended up returning as Canada's representative as the Allied powers occupied Japan and transformed the political landscape of the country. Norman assisted in major decisions that affected the trajectory of Japan, such as banning all political parties except for one, becoming the president of the Asiatic Society of Japan and continuing to publish scholarly material surrounding its history. He had leveraged his knowledge and was now at the forefront of Canada's foreign affairs. Around this time, however, things started to change for Norman. In 1950, his name appeared in testimony given by the US Senate of Foreign Relations. This committee was focused on investigating potential communists among the US and Canadian ranks, targeting specific individuals as potentially being disloyal and selling their country's secrets. Immediately after being mentioned, Norman was recalled from Japan and placed on administrative leave, where he was investigated formally. His loyalty was confirmed as he was cleared of any wrongdoing and reinstated as head of the American and Far East division. It was clear that on the Canadian side of things, there was renewed faith in Norman after being cleared of these accusations, but they unfortunately would continue to haunt him for years to come. In 1952, he was again accused by those in the US Though it's unclear as to how his name kept resurfacing this time he underwent an intense interrogation with the rcmp where he admitted to associating with communists in his university era days though he appeared to sympathize with some of their views especially concerning poverty he always denied being a member of any radical clubs in his youth despite this he had been less than forthcoming about these involvements in earlier testimony casting a shadow of doubt and concern over his motives he admitted that he had understated his potential ties to communism and university in the past, but expressed an interest in wanting to protect his old friends and truthfully having severed many of these relationships with the Communist Party members once he had joined external affairs. Many cite this as being a major contributor to Norman's downfall, as innocent as it may have been. For a time, he was sidelined from his main duties until he was again cleared, this time being placed in New Zealand as High Commissioner. Many of his closest associates continued to support Norman, even as his career continued to go through rough patches. This was also exemplified in his role as even after two major investigations he was still heavily trusted, and he was about to undergo his greatest challenge yet as he was appointed ambassador to Egypt in 1956. He was placed in an intensely important position as the Suez Crisis took place. What happened during this process was not as important, but know that it involved relations between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. Egypt, led by President Gamal Abdel Ghassar, was looking to maintain healthy negotiations between both countries, despite them being staunch enemies due to the events of the Cold War. In summary, Norman was made as a neutral between Ghassar and the interests of Western powers. A very important role, and a key one, but not one that was easy. He described his role to his wife as the most strenuous job he had ever had in his entire life. And to make matters worse, Norman's name was again raised in the US Senate in 1957. They seemed to have thought that Norman was influencing Gassar to be more pro-Soviet. Amidst these allegations, on April 4th, 1957, Herman Norman walked off a building in Cairo and fell to his death. His suicide sent ripple effects throughout Canada and beyond. The government and citizens were horrified. Norman seemingly a victim of intense U.S. scrutiny. Perhaps the stress had been too much to handle. His accusers took this as a sign that there was some truth to the statements they were making. But the questions remain controversial to this day. Namely, was there any truth to these allegations about Herbert Norman? And why did he feel it was necessary to take his own life? Critics say that at the very least, Norman was a sympathizer to communists, and at the most, he had become groomed to be their spy and mole within the Canadian government. The best way to determine this would be to assess the evidence. His upbringing in Japan was suspicious to some, but most of these claims come from his involvement in university with the left leaning communist campus groups. Though he did underplay the facts during his interrogation, there is no proof he was ever involved in any official capacity. More likely, he was merely a sympathizer, like many young people were at the time. He took part in some events, and the communist message against war and poverty at the time, that was dominated by social injustice, attracted many people. Norman was very well versed in the political world, and was an all round socially conscious person. It makes sense that he would be involved to a certain degree. Correspondence between Norman and his family also indicates communist sympathy, but largely dies off in later years once he's out of university. Once he became a part of external affairs, he did his best to sever ties with friends that may endanger his new career. Even as he did this, he never denounced his friends or his past. In terms of evidence, this appears to be the most crucial, but it raises the question of why Norman was suspected in the first place. Defenders of him make note that Norman was being investigated during a time that fear of communism was being perpetuated throughout America. This is known as the Red Scare, the second one in fact, and came about after the Second World War in response to paranoia that the West was being infiltrated. Officials and government personnel were being accused left and right, often without enough evidence. But led by the US Senate, any formal trial basically meant the death of your career. Americans never really trusted Norman, even after he was cleared of wrongdoing the first time around, and the second, and continually reinserted his name into the conversation whenever the slightest bit of evidence came up. But was it enough to accuse someone of treason? Probably not. The question of loyalty persisted for so long even after Norman's death. But Canada has their own official view on Norman when the Canadian Minister of External Affairs commissioned Peyton Leon in 1990 to review all the files on Norman and determine once and for all his loyalty. After extensive research and taking into account the conclusion of others, Leon concluded in an official report that Norman was not a spy. Yes, his upbringing in Japan shaped his political ideology and his appreciation for foreign affairs. In particular, communism in university spoke to his desire for peace and social wellness for all, something that was reflected in how hard he worked. Though he was doubted by many on the outside, his closest colleagues understood his dedication as being someone devoted to his job. A spy he was not. Perhaps someone who could see the opposing points of view, but not a spy. Leon found that Herbert Norman was indeed loyal. Rather, he was a victim of the rampant witch hunt that was occurring at the time. To Leon, there isn't the slightest amount of concrete evidence that can point to Norman being a spy. He was a man with a remarkable career, who is not afraid to learn about everyone and everything, even when it may look suspicious to some. And that brings us to his suicide and how that came about. If he were an innocent man, why take his life? If he was hoping his death would put an end to all the speculation, he was incorrect. His opposers certainly got their fair use out of it, citing this as proof that he must have been a spy. There have been talks of finding his suicide notes over the years, from what I can find these claims are suspicious at best, so we're just going to ignore them. Leon raises several options in his report, citing potential upbringings in Japan and building his foundation of suicide given their cultural viewpoint of it. But then again, many closest to him at the time would disagree and say that his moral foundation and reasoning would not allow for such a thing. Another stronger case could be made that the pressures of the job were getting to him and that the events in 1956 had brought him to a boiling point. When allegations began to resurface yet again, the thought of facing down so many more questions and interrogations was too much. It has definitely crossed the minds of many as an option with the thought enraging Canadians one of Canada's greatest diplomats and ambassadors, crushed under the weight of political pressure and unfounded fears. While the nature of his suicide can be hard to place, it is also clear that the mental strain he was under was immense. Many at least hoped that his death would bring an end to such allegations being spread so callously. Even his Canadian supporters had ultimately failed him, and each time they investigated him, they gave weight to these accusations. Their actions have been looked on unfavorably in the time since. Even recent files have found that the RCMP have not stopped their hunt for answers, as they followed his widow for more than 10 years after his death. They even interviewed her 12 years after, in which she defended her husband and his actions. Angry Canadians condemn both American and Canadian action in regards to Herbert Norman, and see him as more of a victim than anything else. Of no doubt was the fact that he was an accomplished scholar who threw himself into his work, and as much as there are people today who question his loyalty, there are those who fight to prove his innocence once and for all. So what do you think of the story of Herbert Norman? Was he a Soviet spy using his intelligence and resources to push his communist agenda, or simply a victim of a fearful government? Let me know what you think by following me on Instagram at Maple Moose Mysteries and sending me a message. If you want more mysteries, crimes, unsolved Canadian stories, be sure to follow this podcast Maple Moose Mysteries and rate me on iTunes. It really helps me out and I appreciate it. If you do, hey, maybe we can grab a poutine sometime and talk about other Canadian stereotypes. I love maple, I love mooses, I'd love to see you next time when I have a new mystery to share with you all.